Thank you for that. Thank you for being back here uh, tonight. We had a tremendous Sunday morning. <coughs> Great crowd here. Many visitors. Uh, the bus ministry did very, very, very well. Uh, baptisms. And just thank you for all of your effort and your work in inviting people to come to church and in being in your place and being faithful. Thank you for that. And I hope that you'll, you'll again, <coughs> not to reiterate what Joseph said, but Easter is, uh, is just one of those days when more people come. So let's be ready for them. Okay, Adrian's here, a dad for the second time. Ruby, right? What's your middle name? Song? Steve would have been a better middle name, but that's okay. Ruby, let's give him a hand. And his wife, of course, she's not here, just had the baby. Good to see them. The, uh, but let's be ready again, as I was saying, for Easter, really. You know, we have, if you go outside, when you walk out, <coughs> we have our eight steps of spiritual growth, Right? Salvation, baptism, fellowship, all those different ones. We're going to add a ninth one. It's called Blue Line, parking off-site, okay? Once you become a member, you don't get to park in the parking lot anymore. You park off-site. But help us next week if you could with that. Um, and then just be super friendly. <coughs> Everybody who comes in, you say hi to them and, and help them if they need to find a seat. We'll have, the, of course, the balconies available. We won't, the bus ministry will on Saturday, so we'll have more room upstairs and so forth. Looking forward to a... <coughs> Great Easter Sunday. Of course, you probably, how many of you, when you hear, when you see someone read the scripture for the message, you try to figure where they're going? Is it, is it just me, right? It's like, I wonder what he's going to go to today. And you look at the book. Most of us don't think of Leviticus when we think of these things, but we're going to look at it, and I think it'll make sense to you tonight. <clears throat> it's important to know when you're doing something, the purpose behind why you're doing something, right? I hate... Uh, <coughs> I ain't wasting my time. I don't want to do something that has no purpose. When I look at the things that we do in the church, the ministries and the different things, to me, if it doesn't uh, ultimately push our, 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 our purpose, which is reaching the world and getting the gospel out, it's like I don't want to just do something to do it or to build up the church. Um, <clears throat> but sometimes you do things and they just really don't have a purpose. I don't, I don't know if you remember. You, you know the... Um, I know we have a new bridge in Long Beach. I don't know if it has a name, but there's the secondary bridge that goes into San Pedro, the Vincent Thomas Bridge. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Back in the day, it used to be a toll bridge. You had to pay a quarter to go either way, and you'd pull up to the booth, and you'd pay your quarter, and you'd go. And then they got the bright idea, like, let's just do that only one way to save time. And so uh, then instead of being a quarter, you had to pay when you went one way, and it was 50 cents. Eventually, they did away with the toll in 2000. You know what they found before they got rid of the toll? They did a survey to see they were raising money with the tolls to, to put the money towards, <coughs> you know, maintenance of the bridge and other things. You know what they found out when they did their study? Out of the 50 cents they collected, of course, they had to take a portion of it to pay for, for everything associated with collecting the toll. And then whatever was left went to the bridge. They found out that out of the 50 cents that they collected for the bridge, one penny went to maintenance. The rest of it went to pay everything that it took to collect the toll. But finally, they figured it out like that's a really bad idea, right? By the way, that's why we realize that the word government organization is an oxymoron, okay? It really doesn't work very good. There has to be a purpose, if we don't see the purpose in what we're doing, you know, we could end up just spinning our wheels. 
We're, we're nothing more than a hamster in a cage getting on that little wheel and running and going nowhere. And so I want us to see <coughs> the purpose for which God wants us to do something, and we're going to find it today in the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus is not one of the more <coughs> popular books of the Bible, <coughs> but it does teach many wonderful truths if you read it. Now, it teaches some of the things that were related with the theocracy, uh, which Israel was a theocracy. They were a nation <coughs> that was run by God. And there were some other things there, and some of the ceremonial laws and some of the priestly laws and so forth. And, um, <coughs> and so, but there's, that's in there. <coughs> but there is an underlining theme within it. The theme of the book is the holiness of God. And we're going to see that because of God's holiness, God wants us to be holy as well. You could boil down the basic truths of the, of the book of Leviticus into three different areas. The sacrificial system. That had to do with the, the animal sacrifices and the different sacrifices, the meal and the meat sacrifices that they made. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> These teach us the importance of a couple of things. The shedding of the blood for, for, for forgiveness of sins, right? Hebrews reminds us that was important. And we just took the Lord's Supper on Thursday, and the Bible tells us without the shedding of blood, there is no remissions of sin, a remission of sin. That's why Jesus Christ had to shed his blood for our sins. But it also talks about the seriousness of sin as well because there's a penalty that had to be paid, a very, very high penalty. <clears throat> Leviticus always talks about the instructions, talks also about the instructions of the law. He gives us God's commands and standards for character. That's the kind of person we are inwardly. And then he gives us his standards for, of conduct. That's how we act outwardly. And by the way, if we have the right kind of character inwardly, we will have the right kind of conduct outwardly. It is very silly to think that God would change us on the inside and nothing good or nothing new would happen on the outside. That is a concept that is foreign to the Bible. That's why he said in Corinthians, if you are uh, you know, saved, you're a, you're a new man. And every old things have passed away. All things have become new. And then he talks about the penalties of disobedience. And of course, we understand all that. But <clears throat> throughout the book, as you see these truths and you put them together, God talks about his commands and encouragement for separation, <clears throat> being different, and staying away from that which is corrupting. We understand that God provided a way for us to be able to, 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 to fellowship with him, and that was through the sacrifices. Because of the sacrifice of Christ and our salvation, that is the beginning of our life and our fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Before that, we had no relationship with him because we were unsaved. But once we are saved, we are born into God's family, and as his child, we now have an opportunity to have close fellowship and a close relationship with him. We also see that God planned a way for us to maintain that fellowship, to, 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 um, to maintain that fellowship with him. That is through separation, a change of life, clearing out our life, avoiding sin, avoiding that which would come between us and our God. And you do understand that sin comes between us and our God, okay? Tells us in Isaiah, he says, you're praying and I can't hear you because your sins have separated between you and your God. The same thing would be true in a relationship, right? You, you're close to somebody, you're married, and you have, a, you have a, Christians don't have fights in their marriage. They have disagreements, okay? What is a disagreement? 
it means fight. That's what that is. And uh, before you have that relationship restored, you have to deal with the thing that was between you two and get, get, get that thing fixed. Now, we come to the, the text in our chapter here. In this chapter, he starts off by talking about some sins and some of the things that they were doing that he, he's going to command them about. He talked about their sins of worship. Don't worship false gods. Don't worship, worship the pagans of the land. That's a theme through, all throughout the law. He talks about Satanism. He talks about going to familiar spirits and wizards and those types of things. And then he talks about uh, sin and relationship, some immorality and some, some different things there. But starting in verse 22, God explains some of the commands, and then he explains why they are important. We're going to look at it. These commands were to separate their lives and their beliefs from the pagans of the land. You see, and I've mentioned it before, the pagan deities there were unlike the true Lord God. See, these pagan deities, they had certain things you had to do in your worship. And you went and you did it, and it made no difference in your life on a day-to-day -day basis. You just went and did the thing you were supposed to do, and then the rest of your life you were, you were free to live as if, there is, that, as if there was no God. Your deity made no difference in your life. But that's not how it is with the living God. Because we are born into his family and we are a part of his family, we are in a family relationship with him. And so these commands help us. Look at verse 22. <clears throat> he says, And ye shall therefore keep all my statutes... And my judgments, and do them, that the land, whether I bring you to dwell therein, spew you not out. He is telling them the importance of keeping their commands, because if not, they would not stay in the land. Part of what God wanted them to do, and we touched on it this morning, if they were going to stay in the land, they had to obey God. We looked this morning how they lost to the Philistines. Wasn't that they had a better army? wasn't that the Philistines were, were, were stronger. It's because they were disobedient to God and God allowed the Philistines. And once they got right with God, God started destroying the Philistines long before they lifted a spear against them. And so he's telling the importance if they're going to stay in the land. God gave them the land. Verse 23, And ye shall not walk in the manners of the nation, <clears throat> the way they live, the way they act, which I cast out before you. For they committed these things and therefore... I abhorred them. He abhorred them. That means I, I hated that. All of that. All the nonsense that was going on. So he's telling them about the importance of not following the lifestyles of the nations, which God removed from the land. That would be their stumbling block. And by the way, that, that's what caused... How, how many of you ever seen the, uh, 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 have, have the... have been confused about the story of Balaam and the donkey, right? It's like, what is that all about? And then you hear about the sin of Balaam. Although God would not allow Balaam to curse God's people, Balaam told uh, Balak how to get God to curse them. That's the doctrine of Balaam. He said, listen, start getting them to intermarry and intermingle with you people. They'll start following your gods, and you won't have to curse them. Their God will get on them. And that's exactly what happened. Because they were very, very pagan in many of the things they do. By the way, it's still true of Christianity today. You know what our biggest stumbling block is? We don't necessarily want to be like God. <clears throat> we want to be in the background and be like everybody else in this world. But if we are Christians, that was pretty weak though, one amen. Thank you, Brother Paul. You're going to get a raise. Like a buck a month. 
But, but it, it's very important. We, we don't want to be different. We don't want to be called out. And everywhere you read in the Bible, God says you're going to be different. Not goofy. Not weird. Okay? Verse 24. <clears throat> he says, but I have, I have said unto you, ye shall inherit their land, and I will give it unto you to possess it. A land that floweth with milk and hun- honey. I am the Lord your God, which have separated you from other people. God also wanted to remember the fact that God gave them a great land and separated them from the pagan worshipers of the land. It always amazes me when people think that serving God is not a, is not a good thing. We almost make it sound like if we live for God and try to do what he says, life is a misery. And God is holding out on us. No, the good things come from, from following God. The best life comes from following God. You can do your own thing and go that way, or you can follow God and go this way, and I can tell you right off the bat, the best life is to follow God. No one ever comes and says, I follow God 100%, and I spent time with him, and I loved him with all my heart, and I'm miserable. I've just never heard that. God's good. But then we get (coughs) to the key verse. This is all introduction. You say, wow, okay, so you're trying to do the time in your head. Let me see, how long is it going to be? We're here. It's not going to be that long. But I want to get to the point. Verse 26, here it is. <clears throat> and ye shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy, and have severed you from other people that ye should be mine. In the midst of all the things he's been telling them, in the midst of all the, the, the way they're supposed to go and the way they're not supposed to go and the things they're supposed to do and the things they're not supposed to do, you can sum it up. This would be their mission statement verse. The one that told them, told them exactly why they needed to live the way God wanted them to live and why they need to be different and separated. If you look throughout the whole Bible, that is God's message. God wants his people to be holy. People have chosen for many years, <coughs> Christians have, have put this difference between happiness and holiness. And when we have a misunderstanding of those two, we will always choose the wrong path in life. Because after all, everybody, you use the Bible word joy, so don't, don't pick at me for using the word happiness. You know, if you, I just want to be happy in life. No one wants to be miserable, right? And so we think that we have to choose between happiness and holiness. And when we have these two misunderstood, the thing that we're searching for, happiness, we go after it the wrong way, and we never attain it. We want Jesus, as Christians, to solve all of our problems and carry our burdens. But we don't want him to control and change our life. Because the fact of the matter is, if we were honest, we would say that we don't believe that that is the path to happiness. But the Bible says eight times, be ye holy, for I am holy. Here's the reason we would choose happiness over holiness. Because we have this mistaken belief that holiness deprives us of happiness. Right? I've heard the phrase before, and I won't nitpick at it. God's more concerned with your holiness than with your happiness. Now, on the face of it, that sounds good. But I don't like it. 
Because it makes it sound like if you're holy, you're miserable. It makes it sound like you have to make a choice, buddy. You have to choose happiness or joy, or you got to choose holiness. Now, I would say if you did have to make that choice, the choice would be holiness because God says that's what he wants us to be. But it's, it's, it's a mistaken and a flawed way of thinking because holiness is the way to happiness. You know, well, you know, I only got one life to live. And, and I had a guy tell me when I used to work many years ago. He was a Christian guy. He said, this guy didn't want to get saved. He goes, well, if you're going to live like the devil, you don't want to get saved, then, then, then live it up on this earth. Do everything you can because this is the only happiness you're going to get. And I told him, I said, that's wrong. Because that's not the way to happiness. Look around this world. You can look at everything that's going on. Why are people doing such crazy things? Because literally in their hearts, they're looking for something, and, and, and they can't find it, so they have to keep changing the parameters of how they think they get it. And when they get there, they're, they're, it's not fulfilling. That only comes through God. So if we live for God and we're holy, we're not losing it. That's why the, <coughs> the Bible tells us, rejoice in the Lord always. Well, I guess if you're, if you're living in holiness, you can't be joyful. Why would God tell us to be joyful? Nehemiah tells us the joy of the Lord is our strength. So let's not buy that. We do ourselves a disservice when we present the Christian life as holiness without happiness. That's not the way it works. There is more joy in living for God and being obedient in him than doing my own thing and pursuing my own happiness. There just is. You say, Pastor, I have a hard time believing that. That's where faith comes in. Faith says, you know what? God's way is the best way. The Israelites, they got confused on many occasions. You know what they found out? Their way didn't work very well. God's way always worked. <clears throat> holiness is not one of those things that's very popular, and you don't hear about it very much. You know, we're so into this emotional Christianity. You know, we want these, these Christian songs that talk about clouds passing by and my emotions and my mountaintop experiences. Life's not about emotions. Okay? Quit, quit living on your emotions. Now, emotions are a good thing, but emotions right, tag along for the ride. They don't drive the bus. We get over-emotional. <clears throat> and don't take this wrong. <clears throat> we focus on the love of God as if the love of God is separated from all his commands. Isn't that what 1 John tells us? This is the love of God that you keep by commands. The two go together. They're not, they're, they're, they don't exclude one another. We treat holiness like it's some type of outcast and not a compliment to the things that God wants. But the whole point is, <coughs> I'm starting to go a little farther here. God wants us to be holy. And the whole point is this. Holiness, when it happens, is naturally a separating thing. I'm sorry, that's what it is. When we do what God wants us to do, we by essence are separating ourselves from the things that God does not want us to do. Do you understand that? The two go together. And so God wants us to be holy. He wants us to be obedient. He wants us to be separated. <clears throat> I preached a whole series on, on, on separation last year and some different parts about it. And really, separation is nothing more than obedience. Holiness is nothing more than obedience to God. That's all it is. But it does require change in our part. Now, all that to say this. The verse we looked at, verse 26, tells us why. 
Why should we live a separated life? How does that happen? Let me give you a couple thoughts and we'll be done. First of all, <clears throat> God's purpose for separation happens because of his personality. Look at verse, uh, look at verse uh, 19. <clears throat> if you'll go back <clears throat> a chapter. Verse 19, uh, chapter 19, verse 1 and 2 of Leviticus. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for, here it is, I, the Lord your God, am holy. So it starts with the fact that that's what God is like. God says, I am holy. It's all throughout the scripture. What we like to do is we will emphasize every other aspect of God but his righteousness. We will, we will, you know, we, we like the things that we feel have dividends for us. He takes my burdens, and by the way, he does. He answers my prayer, and by the way, he does. He loves me, and by the way, he does. Name it. Name any characteristic of God you want, but we ignore this one. God is holy. By the way, we need to be thankful he's holy. Because he acts, because he treats us in a way that we probably, uh, uh, probably don't, well, I know we don't deserve, and in a way which we, which, which we want him to act, because he is holy. He's not all over the map. And whenever we talk about holiness, it's always in a, most people, it's always in a negative light. I understand that those that don't know the Lord, mocking righteousness and mocking holiness, all over our entertainment, all over the music, all over every aspect of it, every form of sin is promoted and pushed. And if you don't live that type of way, you're going to be you're going to be criticized. You're going to be looked down on like some kind of weirdo. I understand unsaved people doing that. You know what I don't understand? I don't understand Christians doing that. It seems like pastors in America now want to promote drinking and alcohol. I can help them with that. Get a Bible. We mock, <coughs> we want to see how super cool we can be and how close we can walk to the line because we think that's what people want. I don't know what people want. I know this. I know what God wants. And I'm, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to serve a holy God and purposely live an unholy life. That's not what God wants. God is holy. We've got to understand that. To think that, that, that unrighteousness is something that can be lifted up is to totally ignore the character of God. God is holy. What we want is we want a God that, that fits our own mold. Someone said that God created man in his image and now we have returned the favor. We create a God in our own image. <clears throat> we only want to hear the parts of God that we like. The ones that doesn't go against what we want. And so we have to understand that. The command to be holy comes from the commander, and he is holy. Secondly, because of his position. Look at Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 37. <coughs> and this is just very, very simple. Therefore, observe all my, all my statutes and my judgments and do them. And then here's his answer there. I am the Lord. He says, here's what I'm telling you to do. And then he just stops and says, let me give you a reminder. I am the Lord. That is my position. Fifteen times alone in chapter 19, that phrase is used. He says, you're supposed to do these things. Oh, by the way, I am the Lord. <clears throat> this is simple. 
God has a right to tell us what to do because he is God. He is in the place of authority, right? It's like when we have little children. By the way, don't, I don't argue with, you know, my little grandkids or when my children were little. I didn't argue with them when I told them what to do. Hey, go do this. Why? Well, here's the correct answer. Because I said. They're little children. They don't need an explanation. Now, as they get older and you're teaching them to do things, you want to teach them the reason behind it. I totally understand that. But not little two-year-olds. They don't comprehend anything. God's looking at us saying, look, I'm telling you to do this, and I can tell you to do this because I am the Lord. There is no debating that. People tried, right? What does evolution tells us? tell us? Evolution tells us we're just a product of random chance, and it's survival of the fittest. There's no God. He's not in charge. You just do whatever you want. Atheism does tell us there is no God. So we're accountable to nobody. We can do as we please. Even Satanism, you say, well, <coughs> I would never be a Satanist. No, I don't think you would, but we believe the doctrine of Satan. Satanism tells us that we can be in charge of our life, and we decide what's right and wrong for our life. Didn't he tell Eve that? And Eve totally bought it hook, line, and sinker. And so we have to be very careful about that. People ignore or disbelieve in God because a belief in God has consequences. I mean, look, if I believe truly that there is a God, then I have to understand that implied within that decision, I am going to be accountable to him someday. That he is in charge of this earth. And he is in charge of my life. That's why we try to push him out of the way. Or we try to find excuses to bypass that. But the fact is, that is his position. Now turn to verse number <coughs> 26. Another reason we should be holy and right is because of his person. And he said, and ye shall be holy unto me, for I the Lord am holy, and have severed you from other people that ye should be mine. In other words, his holiness is tied into the fact of who he is, right? God is just not a deity who displays holiness. God at his core is holy. The same thing with love. God does not just display love. God is the embodiment of love. And so look, God is holy. That's who he is in his person, and we're going to worship him. We need to worship him the way that he says. If you put that in New Testament terms, we are to allow God to conform us because he wants us to become like Jesus Christ. God in flesh, the God who walked on this earth. Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. <clears throat> By the way, that's the ultimate, you know, uh, WWJD. What would, Jesus, what would Jesus do? I, I don't even have to ask that because I know what the answer is. He would do whatever the Bible said. Jesus was perfect. He never sinned. He was the word of God walking in flesh. He did everything that this book said. He never violated any of its commands or principles. So if I, if I want to know what to do in a situation, I read it in the Bible, that's what Jesus would do. Because that's who he is. In biblical terms, <coughs> we are allow the spirit of God to conform our lives 
to the word of God. And I've used this verse a few times, so I'll just reference it. 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. As we get into the word of God and we're open to it, we are seeing God's glory in the pages of scripture. And if we will allow him, the spirit of God will take what we are seeing in the scriptures and conform us and make our life follow those principles. That's God's person. Number four, and it goes with it, <coughs> because of his, be, be, that was his person, because of his principles. Look at uh, chapter 20, verse 7 and 8. <coughs> he said, sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God. And then he tells them how to get there. And ye shall keep my statutes and do them. You see, it's one thing to learn about these concepts, right? You know, holiness, righteousness, separation. How do you get there? He just gave it to us in a nutshell. Do exactly what he said. Follow his word. It's very, very simple. God wants us to be obedient children. You know, let me, <coughs> let me give a little rant here for a second. One thing I've heard <coughs> many times over the, over the years from evangelicals and other Christians, they'll say that Jesus was the ultimate rebel. Anybody ever hear something like that? Jesus was a rebel. I mean, he went against the established church. He went against the door. He was a rebel. You know what a rebel is? A rebel goes against that which is right. Okay? That's just spiritual gobbledygook to, for somebody uses to explain the fact that they're not living up to the standards of Scripture. Let's just be real honest about it right there. Jesus never would sign off on doing something that's wrong. Jesus, now I will say this, Jesus seemed like a rebel to those people because they were walking in rebellion to God. Do you understand the difference? I just saw a little thing the other day, some guy, uh, <coughs> Alice Cooper. How many of you know who Alice Cooper is? Shame on you. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, he was an old rock and roller. His dad was a Baptist. I think his dad was a Baptist pastor. And he got his name from a Ouija board. He was speaking to a demon on a Ouija board many, many years ago. Ask him what his name is, Alice Cooper. And that was the, his, his, his name as he became a rock. He's allegedly a Christian. <coughs> I don't see any evidence. <coughs> but he said that. Jesus is the ultimate rebel. No, he's not. What did Jesus say? I do always the will of my father. The, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and the Romans and all the people of the land, they were disobeying God. They were the rebels. Jesus was the one doing right. So don't buy into this. We like this rebellion type of Christianity. There's no such thing. We're to be obedient and we are to be on board with the word of God. There's no such thing as a Christian rebel. The world may not like what we do, and we may be, uh, rebel against what they're saying, but we ought never to rebel against the word of God. <clears throat> Very important. <clears throat> he tells us when it talks about keeping the, we're supposed to keep the word of God. It, it, that word's interesting because that word also has the connotation of guarding. You see, it's very easy to get into disobedient. We need to guard ourselves to make sure we are doing what's right. There's always things targeting us to get us off point. Why else should we, <clears throat> why else should we 
be separated because of the power. At the end of verse 8, <coughs> he says, I am the Lord which sanctify you. In other words, if we're trying to do the right thing and we're trying to follow God, this is not a journey we take on our own. God is with us. God is empowering us. Even when we looked at the scripture where the spirit of God takes the word of God that we see and he, conform, he conforms us to that word, that's because of God's power. As we seek to live for God, we're not on our own. Now, now on the other hand, we can't just say, okay, Lord, change me. God's not going to change us if we're not making any effort. But as we make the effort and we seek to live God, right, God empowers us and gives us what we need so that we can do that. By the way, anything the Bible tells us to do is possible. God, I heard this years and years ago, I've never forgot it. God's commandments are his enablements. In other words, by the very fact that God has told us to do something, because God has told us to do something, by that very fact, that means that we can do it. God would never tell us to do something that we could not do. He's empowering us. I love the verse in, in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly <coughs> above all that we ask or think. According to the power, the spirit of God that worketh in us. Now I'm, I'm like that God can do things, but look at the words he used. Ready? Exceedingly. That doesn't mean just a little bit. That means it goes way past what we think. Abundantly more than we can think. And above all, higher than we can ever think. You can live for God. <clears throat> you say, I'm struggling. There's this sin in my life, <clears throat> or <clears throat> there's this thing in my life that's tripping me up, and I just can't get over it. Listen, if you would connect with God, if you would spend time with God, if you would work on it with God's help, you can overcome it. God has that power. Also, look at verse 26, because of his plan. He said, and be ye holy unto me, for I am the Lord, I the Lord am holy. And he says, and have severed you. That's God's plan. One of the ways that God helps us is to, by severing us or telling us to stay away from that which would drag us down. See, many times if we go back to the power, we say, I just can't get over this. Well, maybe it's because we keep running to that thing. Maybe we're not severing ourselves from that thing that's dragging us down. That's like saying, I want to give up drinking and we're hanging at a bar. I'm just trying to get strength. Come on. You know, <clears throat> you're struggling with something on the internet. Quit getting on the internet. <clears throat> I've done it. I've talked with people in my office, usually guys, and you'll know where I'm going. It's like, I'm struggling with this and, and, and I don't want to be a part of it anymore. It's like, go get a flip phone. Pastor, that's me. Do you really want to get over it? I mean, we're trying to get over things, and we're going to hang on to the very thing that allows us access to those things. Until we get that thing settled, we better be very careful. So we have to be very constant. I've severed you. I want you, I want you away from that. Should that be a big surprise? Don't we do that with our children? <coughs> right? I mean, you know, <coughs> childproof everything in the house. My mom used to say, you know, I'd get in trouble, and she'd say, you need to quit hanging out with people. I always blamed, I don't even know if he's around, I mean, Bobby, I always blamed Bobby Carr. The fact of the matter, it wasn't true. Most of the trouble I got into was because of Joe Esposito, 
and Steve Myers. I just blamed it on Bobby. My mom said, you can't hang around with that kid. Every time you're with him, you're getting, in, you're getting in trouble. I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure his parents are saying, every time you're with Steve, you get in trouble. But what was she saying? She said, hey, that's not a good road for you. You, you, might, you, you need to stay away from him. You guys, she should have just said, you guys aren't good for each other. We do that with our kids. Hey, don't do this. That's not good for you. Don't do that. That's not good for you. <coughs> stay away from that. But yet when God tells us to do that, we, 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 we bow up. Grace. I know. By God's grace, we can get away from that which is dragging us down. So very careful. God's given us the plan. <coughs> and then lastly, because of his presence, this is the outcome of it. This is what God really wants. Look at verse 26. And ye shall be holy unto me. I am the Lord, <coughs> am holy, and have severed you from other people. And here's the reason. You ready? Look at those next uh, five words. That ye should be mine. Do you understand that's the purpose behind it? God wants us to be his. God wants us to have a relationship with him. And God does not want us to be involved or around anything that would cut into that relationship. There is no way my wife would be okay. That's the sign I have to stop. Okay, I gotta stop though. <coughs> There's no way my wife would be okay with me seeing other women. We'll say, well, that's a no-brainer. Well, God doesn't want me to see or be involved with any things that comes between me and him. Right? See, it's okay. <clears throat> In some relationships, we understand that there has to be a separation, but we struggle with that spiritually. The verses on separation we use are 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. He says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord God. Touch not the unclean thing. And here's the key. He says, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you. What, if I'm saved and I don't separate, God's not my father? No, he's your father, but we're not allowing him to father us. See, father is not just a position, it's also an action. He's fathering us. But when we're not willing to stay away from those things that cut into our relationship, how can he do it? Because we're not going to listen to him. And, I'll, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. See, we separate from something to something else. Separation just saying, hey, I'm better than, you know, I don't do that. Well, why don't you do that? Because I want to be closer to God. And if I do that, I'm not going to be close to God. It's going to cut into that relationship. That's what God wants. That's a commitment. Well, I don't like commitment. Are you married? Didn't we stand up there? at the wedding altar and make commitments to one another? That's what, how it works. It's a promise. Promise. And by the way, <coughs> here's the point. That promise on that day when I said, I do, that promise led to rules in my life. Right? I was a husband now. I can't go hang out with all my old single friends. Why? Because I got to be home. I got women. I get to be home. Okay, that didn't sound good. I had, that was the main relationship. Me and her, not me and my buddies. It was me and her. And I'm not going to hang around other women. Why? Because that's a rule that's built into the relationship. I'm not fine. Oh, can I get a ride home? No. I'm not driving in a car with another woman. I'm not going to do that. Why? I'm married. Well, what are you? Some kind of 
I won't use the word we are something like that. No. I have a wife, and I love her, and I don't want to do that, so I'm not going to put myself in a position where that could ever happen. <coughs> That's a rule built in to that relationship. But yet we don't like it when we're supposed to have a relationship with God, and that relationship requires things of us. That's silly. And yet that's what Christianity is today. I love Jesus. I carry a Bible. I put a bumper sticker on my car, and I do whatever I want. That's not real, genuine Christianity. That relationship with God ought to just built in some things that will keep you strong so your relationship with God is strong. That's the whole key of it. God isn't just telling us, be careful about these things. Don't do these things because he's trying to take joy away from us. God says, I want you and I to be number one. I want you to love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with everything you have. But if I'm giving my heart to all these other things, then I'm not going to do that. That's the purpose. Don't look as obedience to God as keeping you from something. It is pushing you towards someone. God. That's the purpose. That's what God wants from us. And that's why God gives us separation. Let's stand together. <coughs> we may. <coughs> every head bowed and every eye closed just for one minute. <coughs> Let us think of this. How close is your relationship with God? Are there things in your life that are, are keeping you from having the kind of relationship? i just be honest with you. It requires change. If we really want to be close to him, if we really want to have that life, obedience requires change. But obedience puts us in the place of that closeness with God. Are you close to him today? By the way, let me say this, if you're not close to him, and by the way, none of us are perfectly close. I understand that. But maybe you feel like you're, you're getting a little bit farther away from God than maybe you were some other time. Well, let me ask you, are, some, are there some things that have come into your life that have driven you away? I don't feel as close to God, but yet <clears throat> maybe we're reading our Bible less. Maybe we've allowed some things into our life that have kind of pushed us away. You know what the good thing is? we can get back to where we were. There's a purpose for obedience because God wants to, be, wants to be as close to us as he can. And he doesn't want anything to come between us and him. So that's why he gives us his word and he gives us some things to do. And we're gonna have to do them and it's gonna require some change. But it's worth it. Piano's gonna play. God spoke to you this evening, why don't you come? Why don't you come? Maybe you just need a protection. Say, Lord, I'm where I want to be, but, but Lord, I want to make sure that I never get off point. I want to make sure I never get away from where I should be.
Father, we thank you for your desire to be close to us, that you desire for us to have a living, loving relationship with you. And Father, I pray that we would work at our, our lives each and every day to make sure we don't allow things to get in there that would come between us and you. I pray that we would look at the Bible as not a book of restrictions, but a book of freedom. It is freeing us from the things that would drag us down and push us away from you. And it's pushing us more towards you. Let us understand exactly what holiness and separation are for. Be with us. Thank you for these folks that are here tonight. Bless each and every one for being in their place. Be with us until we get together Tuesday night. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.